Well, listen, guys, we are in the final week of our series in Hebrews, a message series that we titled called uh, not called to lead. That was the one like in the middle of it. Right. Uh, but between two worlds. OK. And um, we're going to finish up this series today by exploring Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Hebrews chapter 11. We chose to end it with Hebrews chapter 11 for several reasons, because we believe that Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, really is a statement book that testifies to the faith that we can have in Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross and that his sacrifice is enough for everything. It is all that we need for eternal salvation. And so that's the first reason. But we also thought it was going to be uh, really good for us to end off this chapter or this, this series in chapter 11 because it speaks to some of the examples, the Old Testament examples uh, in the Bible. And we're going to be leaving out of this series and going into a series that we call Golden Oldies, where we're going to take a look at some, yeah, you like that, that graphic? That's Nate. That's Nate Dennis up there. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a look at some of the historical records and examples from some of the Old Testament patriarchs. And so we'll start that next week. Ryan Stevens is going to kick it off. I'm excited about it. I've titled this message today, Faith. Simply faith, but powerfully faith. Just faith. Daniel Taylor, in his, in his book, the myth of certainty said this. He said, we can be absolutely certain of nothing. And if certainty means that we're able to prove something objectively beyond all shadow of doubt, then Taylor is right. Because there's always going to be a percentage of uncertainty. But certainty doesn't rest on objectifiable or demonstrable facts. Certainty rests on faith. Faith in a thing is, is not something that we choose to have. Faith is a gift granted to us by the object. Hmm. Let's take gravity, for example. Can't see it, right? Nobody walks around talking about the power of gravity and bragging about believing in it. But even though we can't see it, it's obviously there. And because we embrace its existence, we allow gravity to govern the choices that we make in our lives. As a matter of fact, the law of gravity directs how we conduct our lives. I have two stools here. And these stools are, de are designed to defy the law of gravity. Now, I've said in both these stools before, um, and, and I'm certain to a, to a certain degree that these stools will hold my weight. But I'm more certain that this stool here will, will hold my weight because, because it's made out of more durable materials. It's built to last. It's constructed of steel. And so, you know, I have more certainty and faith in this stool than I do in this one because this one's a little rickety, precious. Both these stools are designed to defy the law of gravity. And so when I, when I put my behind down on this stool, I'm, I'm hoping that this stool will do what it's supposed to do, and that's defy the law of gravity. But hear me, 
at some point these stools are going to break down. And even though right now they can defy the law of gravity, at some point gravity is going to defy this stool and break it down. And I'm not going to be the person that sits in it the day that it does. Gravity. How many of you ever been like an, at an uncomfortably, uh, at an uncomfortable height, like on a ladder or at the edge of a, of a roof or, or something like that? How many of you have ever been up on a roof and like get really uncomfortable? No. Faith is a gift that is granted to us by gravity, certainty. I was on my roof. Um, I had a, a high-pitched roof in the house that I lived in prior to this one. I mean, it was probably, honestly, it was probably 40 feet off the ground. And I'm up there on this roof, and there is a, an eye bolt that a, a roofer connected to the eave of the roof. And so at the, at the height of the roof, I think that's the eave, and, and that gave me the ability to harness myself into a harness that supported me so I wouldn't fall off the roof, right? But every time I got to the edge of the roof, the gift of gravity reminded me that if I fell off this roof, I was certainly going to be hurt or maybe even killed. And gravity was constantly reminding me, you know, you're not Superman. If you fall off this roof, you're not just going to float, right? So gravity, gravity was giving me a gift that showed me how to conduct and direct my life. Now, as it relates to gravity, faith is not the power. Gravity is. Why? Because if it can be shown, if gravity can be shown to falter even one time, it will, dis, it will deeply disrupt our faith. Faith is the way that we tap into the power of gravity. Because gravity has been shown to never fail, our faith blossoms into what we've come to expect as certainty. In other words, what goes up must come down. It's never failed. See, faith, faith is not something that we choose to have. It's a gift that is granted to us by the object. For the follower of Christ, God is the object. Faith is the gift. I'm going to give you a key statement that I want you to take with you. And here it is. Faith is a human response prompted by the Holy Spirit's conviction of the truth of God. And this prompting is God's gracious gift to us. Faith is a human response prompted by the Holy Spirit's conviction of the truth of God. And this prompting is God's gracious gift to us. Let's talk about faith for a minute before we walk into our text for today. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. To Ephesians chapter 2. To drop down to verse 8. Are you there? One person said yes. When you have us, shout amen. amen. All right. How many of you brought your Bibles with you today? Let me see your hand. Nice. Good. Bring your Bibles with you because, yeah, I'm not going to always put the passages on the screen. Look at what it says. I'm reading out of the ESV version. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your doing. It is a gift of God and not the result of work so that no one 
may boast. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your doing. It is a gift of God. I want to dissect this, this verse into four parts because I think it's essential to build a foundation for where we're going uh, with, this, with the topic of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. First, it says, for by grace you have been saved. The power that, that accomplishes our salvation is grace. Grace is, is, in essence, the gravity of God because it speaks to his nature. Grace is unmerited favor. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. It's by grace that God gives us what we cannot earn. Second, we can't earn it because it's a gift of God. Salvation is God's free gift that's offered to us. And this offer is made to us whether we believe it or not, whether we embrace it or not. Just like gravity, it still exists and it's still there. The third point makes, makes all of this reality practical for us. And the third point is it's, it's accomplished through faith. Faith is how we embrace the life that God offers us by his grace. And this is why Hebrews chapter 10 ends by saying the righteous shall live by faith. We are saved by grace and then our salvation comes to life through faith. But the text doesn't stop there. The text continues and it gives us a critically important phrase and here it is. And this is not of your doing. It's not of your doing. Faith, grace, and salvation cannot and do not come from us. Faith like the uh, eternal salvation that it accesses through grace is a free gift of God. God does it. God has it all, and it all comes from him. But now knowing this leaves me with, with, with two essential questions. And that is, what is faith? And then second, what is faith for? So, if you have your Bibles and you're at Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to begin right at verse 1, verses 1 and 2. What is faith? And here's what I want to say. I think that this gives us more of a, it doesn't give us so much of a definition of faith as it does give us a description of what faith uh, actually is and how it expresses itself. Okay? Verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. What is faith? Faith is the confidence in what has not been tested. It's an assurance of what we hope for. Faith produces confidence in the things we haven't experienced yet. And there are many things that, that we do in life that are designed to build confidence, to build faith, even though we've never tested them yet. I have two examples. I don't know which one to use out, so I'll use, I'll use the military first. How many military, ex-military people in? Let me see your hands. Uh, how did you like military training exercises? Yeah, I bet they were. Your military training exercises are designed to do one thing, to methodically put into your mind time and time again how to do your job when you're not under pressure so that when you're in that wartime situation, your thinking is automatic, right? 
It's, it's assurance of things hoped for or to come. I'm a sports nut. I love, I love basketball, baseball, and football. I like all the ground sports. And, and I love basketball. And if you're a basketball fan, um, you know that at some point in your life, you have shot free throws in your backyard or in your front yard or in the gym. You've shot free throws, right? And you've shot these free throws with, with, um, with being in a clutch situation at the end of a game. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I used to go to the gym. I used to shoot like several hundred free throws a day. I was good back in the day too, y'all. I used to shoot 700 free throws a day and I'd, I'd shoot 100 at a time because then I could tell what my shooting percentage was, you know? So if I, if I made 85 out of 100, it was, you know, I was shooting 85%. But I always walked up to the line, right? And, and I'm, just, I'm just gonna role play. I walked up to the line and it's like, the G. That was my nickname, the G, by the way. The G is up at the line. No time on the clock. Down by one. Foul, two free throws. Pressure's on. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, boom. Yak em. Y'all know what that means? Nothing but the bottom of the net. Tie game. The crowd goes crazy, you know, I get mobbed at the end of the game. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> we shoot those free throws, hoping that at some point we'd have that opportunity. But listen, I may not be confident that, that these two exercises, the military exercise of me shooting these free throws, is going to actually prove profitable. I may not ever get in that situation. But, but listen, but that, that doesn't mean that, that I don't practice just in case I have the opportunity to personally put it to the test. And it doesn't mean that the exercise is not beneficial because it is. Listen, faith is the assurance of, of the outcome that we hope for. And it's doing things in faith, hoping for that outcome. And it's also the certainty of what we do not see. Now, many people say that faith is inadequate without some proof of, of the unseen. In other words, seeing is believing, but that's not what our text tells us today. Our text tells us that faith is the proof of the unseen. Things don't exist just because we believe that they exist. Gravity is a good example of that. The truth is, Things that we cannot see do actually exist in reality. And it's often these unseen realities of God that, that God gives us that they prove our existence by the power they have to evoke faith in us where there would otherwise be nothing but unbelief. Did you guys get what I just said? Yes? No? Okay. Let me say it again. Often it's the unseen realities of God that give proof of their existence by their power to evoke faith in us where otherwise there would only be unbelief. Faith 
is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that are not seen. So what is faith for? I think verse 6 of our text describes what, verse, what faith is for, and it connects it to a specific result. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. Him is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I love what the King James says, who diligently seek him. Faith is an active conviction that fuels our purpose to please God. It's an active conviction that fuels our purpose to please God. The primary objective for faith is to please God, family. The primary objective for faith is not to get stuff. Hmm. We can use our faith for stuff as long as the stuff that we're getting, we're going to use to please God. But the primary objective is, for faith is not for stuff. Hmm. It's to please God. So in order for our faith to ignite our passion to please God, there are a couple things we must do first. The first thing we have to do is we have to believe that God exists. And not just a mere existence. I mean, not just a God is out there just, and he's God and he's just there. No. That the God that we serve is the great I am. That he is capable and will do what he says that he will do. That he has the power and the authority to do all the things that scripture, his word, claims that he can do. Hmm. That he's in control. And that I'm not in control. And because I'm armed and equipped with that knowledge, I understand that I have to choose by my own volition to relinquish my control of the authority of my life to his control. That's what faith does. Second, what fuels our pursuit of faith is knowing that God is good and he's gracious. Faith assures us that, that God's desire is to bless us when we actively pursue intimate relationship with him. And the reward for our pursuit is not stuff. It's more of him. God wants, to, God wants us to know him, and he wants to be known by us. Jeremiah 29 uh, and 13, God says this to us. He says, those who seek me will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Listen, the more we pursue God, the more of himself he revealed to us. And that's the reward, more of himself. Have you ever, have you ever searched for something with all diligence? I was looking for, I have an earring that I lost the other, and I've lost it. It's been gone for a long time. I was searching diligently for it, and I couldn't find it. Have you ever searched diligently for something, and, 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 and when you found it, you was like, ah. You ever done that? What is the reward of the thing that you searched for that you found? Somebody said relief. Yeah, all those things. But the reward is you have the thing that you sought for, right? Faith is for pleasing God. God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when we seek God, he rewards us with more of himself. Hmm. And that's what faith is for. Having faith in God and enjoying the pleasures of God are two sides of the same coin. 
You can't, it is impossible to have faith and not please God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Two sides of the same coin. Hmm. Now, for those of us who really want to live by faith, this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, describes what faith can produce in our lives. If we really want to live by faith. By faith, we understand incomprehensible things. Verse 3. And by the way, I'm not going to read all these verses. I'm going to give you high-level bullets that I pulled out, I extracted from each verse. We don't have time to go through all of them today, but, so I'm going to just give you high-level uh, bullets of, of each verse from what the Lord showed me. Okay, verse 3 says this, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. Everybody say the Word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. How did this happen? How did God create things? I don't know. I don't know how he created these things. God made wonderful things out of nothing. And I don't know how he did it, but here's what I do know. I do know that God can create something out of nothing because that's what he did with me. I was the dirtiest of the dirtiest. And if God can create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me as dirty as I am, surely that same God can create nothing, dirt, out of nothing. Hmm. By faith, our choices have a lasting impact. Chronicles the story of, of Abel, and Abel is long gone. But listen, Scripture tells us that, that even after he's gone, today his life still speaks. Why? Because it speaks to a legacy of doing things that are pleasing to God. He took pleasure in pleasing God, and God took pleasure in him. Not so with his brother. Cain did not please God. He was disobedient. He refused to obey God. Because he didn't, the story of Abel is chronicled in Scripture in the hall of faith, and Cain's is not. By faith, we enjoy God's pleasure. The story of Enoch. Scripture tells us that Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. In other words, he never saw physical death because God spared him the heartache of this miserable world that he was in. See, just like today in the time of Enoch, the world was corrupt. And so God took him. But listen, for us, while we can't expect to escape the heartaches of this world, our faith can provide protection from it because our faith can empower us and does empower us to lead a life that's pleasing to God. Hmm. By faith, we take God's word seriously. Noah didn't ignore God's warning. He didn't fail to listen to God's voice. And because he listened, he and his family were saved from death. Noah's faith and, and, and his subsequent building of the ark was proof that God was both merciful and a righteous judge. By faith, we trust and obey. Abraham obeyed God, and even when it meant that he had to leave everything that he knew and everything that he hoped for, he still trusted God because he believed God was preparing for him something that was better than what he currently had. So he endured temporary suffering. He endured heartache, and he placed his faith in something greater than what he could presently see. He trusted the eternal promise of God, and that it was enough for him, and it caused him to act in faith even when he didn't understand what's in front of him. See, family, it's one thing to say that we trust God. 
It's another thing to actually trust him, even when we can't see the determined outcome. By faith, we expect the impossible. Scripture tells us Abraham was 100 years old. Everybody say 100. The brother was 100 years old. That's old. And his wife was 90 years old. And by her own admission, past the age of, of a woman. In other words, she can't have a child. And on top of that, she was already infertile. She had been barren all of her life. Right. And, and, and God made the promise to Abraham while Sarah was barren that I'm going to number your seed like the stars of the heaven and like the sands of the sea. He made the promise to him. And so it wasn't nothing for Abraham when 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 uh, I think it's verses 17 through 19 where it tells us that, that Abraham went to the to the mountain to sacrifice his son. And Abraham picked up the knife, he picked up the dagger, and he was getting ready to drive it into Isaac's chest. Scripture says the angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, Abraham, Abraham, had to call him twice. Stay your hand, there's a ram in the bush. And here's why Abraham was able to trust God in that way, because Scripture tells us that he believed God was faithful to his promise and that even if he slew his son, God was able to raise him up again and would so that he would keep his promise. That's faith. In the same way, this same conviction allowed the children of Israel to walk across the Red Sea on dry land and experience the walls of Jericho falling down flat in front of them. And again, I want to tell you, these are not just fairy tales or fables, family. These are real historical accounts. These are, these are records of God keeping and doing the impossible for his children. That's why I'm so excited about this next coming series of Golden Oldies, because we're going to explore some of these examples. By faith, we recognize eternal values. These examples chronicle the, the actions of people facing the reality of death. And in the face of death, in each case, their priority caused them to see the eternal things and look beyond the natural and the temporary to see a glimpse of the spiritual and the eternal. Hmm. By faith, our lives are turned around. I think it's an irony, really, that as a child in Egypt, Egypt and Pharaoh tried to take Moses' life. Because Egypt and Pharaoh at that point had all the power. And now Moses becomes a man. He goes back to Egypt and in keeping the Passover, he protects his own firstborn son while Pharaoh suffers the loss of his. Because now through God, Moses had the power. What a turnaround. Incredible. Rahab, the heart of a prostitute in Jericho, living inside the wall of Jericho, believed that the God of Israel could do everything that he said that he could do. And in an act of desperate faith, she hid the spies of Israel. And the result, this lady of the night, this prostitute, this lady of the night was inserted into the lineage of our Savior. Faith is a gift from God. Faith changes all the rules. By faith, we do great exploits. These are great examples of great stories of victory and conquest. And I can imagine as these stories were rehearsed, I could just see, I could just hear the people going, yeah, woo, we can do it. Great exploits. I could just hear them doing it, getting fired up about it. 
But then after verse 35a, the tone changes because by faith we endure exploitation. So the tone changes, and here's why, family. Because sometimes our faith doesn't result in a happy ending. Hmm. As a matter of fact, it's often just the opposite. Sometimes our faith will lead to ridicule. Sometimes we get passed over for promotions. Sometimes we don't get recognized when we know we deserve recognition or we get left out or even worse. There are people right now all over this world that are being martyred for their faith. Standing up for our faith could mean death. I remember on April 20th of 1999, waking up to the Columbine shootings. You guys remember those? Where two young men walked into a school and they, and they killed 12 students. And there are two accounts of two young ladies. One was 17. Her name was Cassie Bernal. And one of the assailants, one of the gunmen, put a gun to her head and said, Now tell me, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in God? And she said, yes, I believe in God. And the guy shot her in the head in front of all the rest of the students. Let me tell you something. We live in a world right now where that stuff is taking place all over the world. And don't be fooled because we're not that far from it happening in the United States. There may come a time in our lifetime where we'll be ridiculed, jeered, or even martyred for our faith. So what would we do? Our texts give us examples of those who stood even in martyrdom. By faith, we outlive the world. Our lives are more substantial because of faith. Because of faith, our lives have gravity. They're more weighty. They're more significant. We may not look successful by the standards of the world, but our faith gives life meaning and purpose in a world that... that, that um, that can never give us the same meaning and purpose with all that it contains. Our faith gives us a purpose that extends beyond ourselves and makes a difference that will extend beyond our natural lives. A few years ago, we had a special occasion, and my mom and dad had flown up, and my grandson was a baby. I mean, he's probably three or four months old, I believe. Maybe not even that old, maybe just two months old. And so my son asked my father to bless his son. And so I remember my dad taking Khalil in his arms. He was wrapped up. My dad sat, he went and he sat down on a chair. And, and, and I remember coming around my dad as he prayed over my son, and he, over, my son's, over my grandson. Here's what he said to God. He said, son of my son's son. He said, God, I'm praying right now, and I drive a stake in the ground for his righteousness. My father's 80 years old. My grandson's five. So now fast forward. Two Sundays ago, Palm Sunday, I'm sitting on my couch in the living room, right? And my grandson, which, by the way, he's, he's getting tall and he's bony, and he loves, to, he loves to play, man. You know, his whole thing is beat granddad up, right? So he's coming up the stairs, and I see him coming, man, and I'm just bracing myself because I know he's going to get a running start, and he's just going to come jump on me, and he does, and he knees me right in the stomach, but I'm granddad. I got to be tough. I'm talking, <laughs> you know. 
And he sits down on the couch next to me and he grabs a book that's designed to, to show kids Bible studies. He's flipping through this book. And my wife says to him, she says, Khalil, are you going to be a teacher of the Bible like your granddad? <laughs> and my grandson says, no, but I'm going to know God like my granddad. Took me back to that moment where my dad sat in that chair and drove a stake in the ground for the son of my son's son. I'll tell you something, faith will cause us to out live the world. Even when we're long gone, our faith can still speak. Now for the final question today, I want to I fast forward. I want to cover a couple of passages that we didn't cover today. We're almost done. Here's the final question. If faith makes life worth living and I cannot choose it because it's a gift, what can I do? And what am I responsible for? And so for the answers, I want to take you to to chapter 13 or chapter 11 verses 13 through 16. And I want to read those. It says, all these died in the faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now drop down to verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had promised something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Listen to me. The key to our faith, family, is not allowing ourselves to settle into this land that we're just passing through. See, we are just pilgrims passing through this land. Strangers, the Bible calls us. This world is not our eternal home. But if we ever get satisfied and complacent with the things that we have and the things that we see, we won't need faith. Why would we need it? But we need faith, family, because God calls us to look beyond the now to focus on something greater, and that something greater is the person of Jesus Christ. Because faith matters most when its focus is on Christ alone. Eric, why don't you come up? I want to read this final passage to close this series. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. That's what we can do. And let us run this race with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, focusing on Jesus. Watch this now the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What is our faith for? Our faith is to look beyond this temporary, to know that there is an eternity prepared for us, 
that has been given to us, granted to us as a gift of the grace of God through faith. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day where I get to spend eternity with Jesus. Jesus.